Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode is the 68th episode of the Sidelines Podcast, and I'm excited about today's guest, former Texas star and future NBA draft pick Mohamed Bamba joins the show, and we talked about a, a wide variety of topics, but our conversation centered on his pitch on why he's the best prospect in the upcoming draft. We talked about the draft process and what he's doing in workouts to prepare uh, for his first year in the NBA. And then I got his reaction to people knocking him for having interests outside of basketball. Now, following that interview with Mohamed Bamba, I'm bringing on uh, the guy that's training him and working him out in pre-draft. And I'm referring to Pure Sweat's Drew Hanlon. And we broke down Mohamed Bamba's games, his strengths, his weaknesses, uh, player comparisons, and what his ultimate upside is. Now, before we get to both of those conversations, I want to make sure that you are supporting the Sidelines Podcast. And the best way for you to do that is to go over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure you leave a rating and a review. And you can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the podcast. Without further ado, let's jump to that first interview with former Texas star and future NBA first round draft pick, Muhammad Bamba. It's time to go minimum with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Back in March of 2017, Muhammad Bamba joined the podcast at the McDonald's All-American festivities, and he makes his return to the show today. Uh, a lot has changed since then, hasn't it, Mo? Yeah, it's been quite a few differences since, uh, since March last year. I mean, it's only been a year. It's crazy to think of, but a lot has changed. <laughs> yeah, how, how are things, man? Things are going great. I'm about eight weeks into pre-draft work. Um, obviously, I uh, spent the year at Texas in between <laughs> in between uh, late March then and now, but um, it, it's, things have been going really smooth. The transition is smooth. You've been entrenched in that NBA draft process, and you mentioned you started pre-draft training uh, eight weeks ago. What, what's kind of been your, your favorite part of all this? I mean, my favorite part about this is just specializing and, and just being a basketball player. You know, there's nothing else to worry about, but but, but the commitment to getting better and just working on my craft every day. I mean, like, the, the routine that I've gotten into is just so, like, you know, it's a simple routine, but I'm just so deliberate about not changing a thing about it and, and getting all kinds of great results from it. You know, last week you spent a couple of days at the NBA Draft Combine. What, what, what do you think was the most beneficial part uh, of that process during that week for you? Um, it was a great week. It, at first, it was it was just great to hear from friends, you know, personally how their years at whatever school they went to went, you know, to hear like the stories and the funny stuff. But uh, I think the best part about it was just hearing firsthand about like how front offices think, how they think about stuff, and how they plan on you know building their franchise. Now you interviewed with twelve teams while you were there. What was kind of like mm-hmm. the most unique question that you were asked during those interviews because i know they can get uh, a little out there with some of their questions yeah i actually interviewed with 13 teams and uh, i think the the most unique question i probably got was one i got a little and it was um you're buying a baseball you know the baseball bat and the dollar and ten cent one i don't baseball and the baseball bat well all right so let's see if you can get this (laughs) all right so you have a you have a dollar and ten cents and you need to buy a baseball and a bat 
but the baseball, the baseball bat is, is a dollar more than the baseball. How much do you, like, how much is each? Oh, well, you're putting me on the spot, huh? Uh, <laughs> I'll just answer it for you. I'll, I'll kill the suspense. Um, so, uh, initially, like, the first thing you think is a dollar and ten cents. Right. But the difference between a dollar and ten cents is 90 cents. So it doesn't doesn't add up. So the correct answer is a dollar and five cents and five cents. You got the answer. I pretend it's not to know the answer, just so I didn't seem to know it all. But <laughs> the question is, did you get the did you get the answer right? Uh, I did not. I did not get the answer right. Yeah, I don't think I would have on the spot either. <laughs> I mean, you learn something new every day, huh? No question. It, it, that whole process exactly. with, with like the interviews with those guys is 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 so unique. But but you seem like the type of of kid that would kind of enjoy those conversations. Uh, I would assume you had fun yeah. with that. Absolutely. Um, one, you get to meet new people and see how you know they they think in these front offices. You're meeting the whole entire front office from the GM to the guys in scouting. And then two, like I'm I'm super comfortable in my own skin, so like you know I hardly ever get rattled meeting new people. Now you've been in Los Angeles working out with with Drew Hanland, uh, and I know that you got this process started like right away, earlier than yep. than, than most. W- when you and Drew first sat down, what was kind of the mm-hmm. plan that you two developed for your pre-draft focuses? So the first day I got out here, we kind of sat down in the morning. It was super early. And we wrote down about seven things that I needed we wanted to work on and, and sort of better myself. And from those seven things, we kind of narrowed it down to three things that we would immediately get to work get to working at that I thought was most important. And he kind of let me he, he he let me take charge of this. He was like, "This is your game." At the end of the day, like you know, you you have the best feel for your own game. And he was like, "I'm going to let you pick three things, and I'm going to give you my opinion, but ultimately it comes from you." And that's what I love about Drew. But, um, you know, three things that we put, the three things that we all agreed upon was, um, one, my shooting, two, my low post moves, and three, my mid post moves. And ever since then, we've just been working at those three things every day and just, you know, getting better at reps, getting better at looking full speed and, and making it more game-like every day. And um, I think I've, I've come a long way with uh, my refined shooting, my mechanics, like I mentioned before, my mechanics at night, like we're slightly adjusted, and you know I'm, I'm making, I'm, I'm shooting the ball at a very high clip, and I, I honestly can't wait to get out there and play the first game in, in the NBA. You know, yeah. and nowadays like the league is just positioned around like people who can really shoot, and you know there's not many starters who shoot less than 36 percent from the three point line. Well, what are your expectations as a shooter? Um let's say, you know, a year from now, like, do you think that you, do you think these adjustments um, benefit you in a way that, that, you know, next year you're shooting at a, um, whether it be a 50% clip from mid range or, you know, you're capable mm-hmm. to stretch the floor to three. What's, what's kind of your goal with that? You know, realistically, I think I'm, I believe I'd be shooting well above at least 36% my rookie year. And, you know, Drew always harps on, you know, you can divide the number, that you shoot in practice by two, and that's the number you get. And I've been shooting well over seventy percent, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in myself for next year. Well, you know, I've seen the video of your new shot mechanics, and and I know you've moved your pocket, but can you kind of walk me through the exact changes and the detail uh, of what exactly uh, you all changed uh, within your mechanics? Yep, so one, we, we did three things. We focused on three things. And I wish it was visual of me right now because I'm, 
actually doing it with my arm. But uh, one thing I wanted to, to do was lower my part, my pocket, my, uh, my the side of my body to my elbow. I was shooting from about a 122 degrees angle, and I got that down. You know, 90 is ideal, but I got that down to about 105, which is you know, very good given how, how long and lengthy I am. And um, we worked on higher arc, and that really, that really, you know, got with higher. That really um, established me getting the higher arc, getting under the ball. Um, I worked on getting my elbow out instead of in, so my my, my the landing of the ball can be softer. And um, uh, I really worked on just jumping forward and being in full bounce <laughs> into it. Do you feel more confident than you were maybe six months ago as a shooter already? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, at Texas, they they didn't really, you know, I shot I shot the ball pretty well for a big guy, but um, you know, we were we were well into the season, and we been we were way too far into the season to start working on different things. And as soon as the season was over, this was something that I really wanted for myself, and something that I really envisioned myself doing at a high high level next year. You know, you're you're a guy that's known for your ability to protect the rim, and there's there's always going to be a place in the NBA for someone that can protect the rim the way that you can. But I've kind of always said this about you as a prospect, uh, really even since your Mm -hmm. high school days. I've always thought that you have had more tools on the offensive end than maybe even people have given you credit for. I guess my Mm -hmm. question to you is how do you think that your offensive package is coming along and what's kind of the ceiling for that in your eyes? Um, I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people given how much feel I have for the game. Um, you know, coming up from Harlem, you know, you, you in order to play in those parts, you got to be able to handle the ball. So I, I attribute a lot of you know my ball handling just growing up in Harlem. But you know, things that we worked on was just like you know, some something came natural, like my footwork and you know my being able to really read read the defenders. But uh, we really worked on my post moves, my dream shakes, and my baseline fadeaways. And like you know, I'm, it. The way how you kind of have to practice them, you have to practice them full speed and those grunts and those you know those angles that you use to turn your body out, they really matter. So you you got the ball handling from uh, Kingdom Park, is that right? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. That's where it started, right? That's where it all started. Now, obviously, you've been doing um, a lot of on the court basketball training. But what other activities have you been doing to kind of uh, train and prepare uh, throughout this draft process? Oh, I've been doing a whole, like, I've been having an array of things that I've been doing to sort of, you know, gain an inch and still an inch and refer to myself as a basketball player. But uh, I've done things as far as, like, PT several times a week just to continue to invest in my body and injury prevention and just core alignment and balance. Balance is received from being a big guy who can, you know, who's as mobile as I am. Um, I've done things, obviously, with boxing. Um, as far as just, like, cardio and getting my wind higher, um, lots of yoga, lots of cycling, and the beach is right there, so I've been on the beach a lot. And as far as strength and conditioning, I've been working with the guy who did Julius Randle's uh, transformation a summer ago, and uh, he's crazy, but, you know, I love him. I, I couldn't imagine being across from you in a boxing ring. Like, you... Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that I could ever like land a punch on you. You know, who knows? Maybe if this basketball didn't work out, blue box. You now you've also had the opportunity to spend some time with some 
I mean, pretty big-time NBA players lately. Obviously, everybody knows how good Joel Embiid is now, and, and then you also mm-hmm. got to spend some time with one of the NBA greats and Kevin Garnett. What, what's kind of the mm-hmm. best piece of advice that you've received from those two guys? Um, just the they, – they've given me a ton of advice, and they've given me, you know, the way how to lead. You know, KG was big on just like, telling me how to lead used to be and what it is now because he's still very much around it, but – uh JoJo just gave me a lot of advice, you know, just giving the way out of league as a starter and taking the importance of just, like, you know, fitting in personality-wise with an NBA locker room. And, uh, you know, JoJo's a very, <laughs> he's an interesting guy. Um, he, he, he's a troll, as everyone knows him as, but, uh, you know, he was very easy to get along with. Now, I saw on, uh, you, you did an interview on ESPN and you were talking about some tricks that, that uh, Mr. Embiid taught you. What, what were you referring to? Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, he just, uh, I wouldn't, I can't tell you. I have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, he, obviously he taught me a lot of different things of how he draws fouls, but, um, you know, he, he, he told me a lot of the intangibles, just like how he was just, like, very level-headed coming into the league, how he bought into a collective ego, how he came in, he was just, like, an instant relationship builder. And, you know, that's where I think I really differentiate myself from others in this tribe. You know, one thing I'm curious about, and obviously some of the, the teams – um, that you could potentially end up with have really good players already on them. How do you see yourself meshing, and how do, how can your personality kind of fit in um, with some of these other big personalities in the league? Well, it starts with the locker room. Honestly, you want to be around a good a good core group of veterans who you know who who made the mistakes early on in their career, and they they kind of give you the advice and the and out about you know what goes down in the league. It also, my whole thing about being a pro is, you know, those guys are professionals and they master exactly, they they master exactly what they're good at and what got them to the league. And uh, for me, it's just going to be having that impact no matter how I do it, but just having that impact, you know, probably having that impact and, and just, just really working at it and then I'll be able to expand my game in other areas. Is there anybody else that you've kind of leaned on for advice and um, just trying to learn more about whether it be the league or, or training? Or is there anybody else in your life that, that you've been able to, to kind of have an opportunity to pull from? Are you talking about like guys in the league or just people, period? It could be either. And um, I've really I've been open to the guys, you know, even guys who play in the G League to, to NBA All Stars. So I just, I've gotten like a full range of just like. You know, different perspectives and different, you know, um, experiences. So uh, I think I've got all areas covered. You know, one of the things, and you and I were talking about this uh, off air, but one one of the the coolest parts about my job is is having an opportunity to see players grow from you know underclassmen in high school uh, to to kind of mm-hmm. getting to a point where they're reaching their dreams. And I actually remember mm-hmm. the first time I saw you play, I. The funny thing is I remember the exact gym. It was Bullis High School the second week of December of your sophomore yeah. season. And yeah. I, I I got in a random tip. And honestly, it's probably a moment I won't ever forget because I remember walking into the gym uh, and it, I, yeah. you know, just seeing this. You were probably 6'9"-ish maybe at that time and you know long yeah. arms. Yep. and um, But I, I, I did a little digging. I think it was actually – I think I wrote the first – story on you did, did you have any idea like at that time that you could take what you have in basketball and and do something um like this 
I mean, I had an idea that I was uh, pretty, pretty special and unique in my own ways, but, you know, I didn't have quite the direction for it. I didn't know how to get the exposure. And I think going to West Town kind of really opened the door for a lot of these things. But, um, I, I mean, I'd be sitting there lying to you if I said that everything is part of a, a, a deliberate plan. And, and I knew I was going to be here. Like, it took a lot of sacrifices and a lot of hard work to get to where I am. And and the the crazy thing is, it's just like how much you've grown um, with your game since that starting point. Like you had the physical gifts, but you just, your game has grown so much since then too. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, a lot of it just came with experience and just feel. You know, um, uh, you know, in eighth and ninth grade, I went to a junior boarding school, and I wasn't playing against you know high school seniors until. I was in 10th grade, and after I had about, you know, half the season, I really, really developed myself and really got used to playing at, you know, that physicality and, and that speed, and I just got used to it. You know, a couple months after I saw you at Bullis, uh, I ran into you in New York City, and you may or not remember this, yeah. but you made a comment to me that kind of expressed your intentions with what you wanted to do with the game of basketball and what you thought you could accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. conversation, but it's pretty cool to see how you've been able to take that and, and, and grow off that. I could tell at that time that you thought you could do big things with basketball. Yeah, but I had, I had a, an epiphany. I had a realization after my sophomore year, and I realized how much more. Like this, it wasn't just a game. This was something that I really loved. And uh, my you know, I didn't really think of, of there really being a feeling for me. It was just like, you know, this guy can do so-and-so. Why can't I do that? Let me go work on it. And I just kind of developed that attitude and that mentality. And like I said, a lot of sacrifices and hard work, and I am where I am now for a reason. From the time you hit the national map as a high school player to the end of your high school career, what would you categorize as maybe the, the pivotal moment for you in high school basketball? Um, there was a lot of different things, but uh, I think losing that uh, that first state championship um, it was the first time I really like. Well, obviously I played a lot in a lot of championship games, and I was pretty emotional after it. But uh, you know, this really mattered to me, and it sucked and sucked. Um, it was unfortunate. You know, it, was, it just made me hungrier to go out there and, and do more my next year. I think that was pretty pivotal for me. You know, one thing I know about you is you're far from a, a follower, and, and by the end of your high school career, you had your pick of, of Blue Blood schools, and you opted to, to go to Texas and not a Duke or a, a, a Kentucky. Uh, what, what was kind of mm-hmm. your thought process at that time um, in ending up at Texas? Um, well, my whole thing when I went through the recruiting process was just relationships. I was very big on relationships. I wanted to be told the truth about my game. I didn't necessarily want to be told like what I wanted to hear. And you know, coaches are really good at telling you what you want to hear. And then when you get to the campus, it's just a completely different story. But um, with Coach Smart, you know, I kind of, I kind of had to, to beg him to recruit me, <laughs> in the sense. Um, but uh, after after Team USA, I, I reached out to him and told him that you know this is a place where I can see myself thriving at. And um, you know, shortly he realized that I was really serious about this because a lot of guys when they want to go through the recruiting process, they right. use like they use a lot of schools to just like fill the schools to look good on their list. But uh, I told him I was I was I was um, serious about looking at Texas as a as a as a place that I can 
you know, develop myself for however long. And uh, after I told him that, we kind of, he kind of opened up to me and I opened up to him. And throughout the recruiting process, we just, we just loved each other. He seems re- uh, like really good at building relationships with, with high school recruits. What makes him so good at that? Um, I think he's pretty intentional about building relationships with, with certain kids. Um, he doesn't he doesn't try to do it with every kid. He only really does it with kids he connects with, and that's that's who the kids that's the that's the kids that he kind of roll with in, in recruiting. And from the day that you stepped on uh, Texas's campus until the day you left, which really wasn't that long ago, what what aspect of your game do you feel like progressed the most? I'd say my, my strength and condition has come a long way. Um, that's one thing I can really, you know, attribute to Texas. Is, is that was the first time I was, like, very intentional and very, um, I just developed a different mentality going into the weight room. Like, I, I told myself that I was going to get bigger and stronger um, going into it. And uh, that's one thing that I really, that I really, um, that was the first, like, real change at Texas. You know, one of the things that I noticed that, at, at Texas and, and for a long time and, and really probably your last two years of high school, the game at times seemed to come pretty easy to you. But at Texas, you were challenged at times. You know, for example, you guys lost mm-hmm. a, uh, to Baylor in double overtime and then you bounce back and you have one of your best games of the season. H- how do you think mm-hmm. some of that adversity that you went through uh, and really on and off the court, h- how do you think that's helped you? Well, it wasn't just me. Um, a lot. We were going through adversity as a whole team, you know, with right. with Andrew going out and, and you know, and you know, just it was a lot of stuff that was thrown our way. But um, so we really developed it as a team ego. It's like you know, we're battle tested, and you know, we, we have something to prove. And um, you know, I didn't do it alone. I had my teammates. I had my band of brothers to sort of help me get through all of this. And um, at times, it was it was very emotional. Um, but but we got through it. Like for example, our, I thought uh, the, the most pivotal moment for me, where I kind of grew up on the court, was a lot of people contributed to the Baylor game. But I think it came from the Texas Tech game at Texas Tech. Um, I went out with some sort of a, a minor injury, um, and then I checked myself back into the game. It was like we're winning this game on over. Unfortunately, the, the game didn't go as planned, and we ended up losing a tight one in OT. And I just remember just bawling in the locker room, even though, like, you know, it was just super unfortunate that no matter how hard I, I worked, we, we came out, we, we lost the game. But uh, that's where I, that's when my teammates realized that this really mattered to me and that, uh, that I was about the team and I was really bought in. Now we're, let's switch gears a little here to, to the, the actual draft. And mm-hmm. we're really not far from it. You know, it's, it's May uh, May twenty second, and and the draft is a month yeah. away, and the yep. draft's going to take you close to home. You know, a place that you grew yeah. up. You know, we mentioned Kingdom and and Harlem, and what will it kind of mean to you to relive out your dream, walk across that stage, uh, and, and get drafted in the same city that you grew up in? Oh, it'll mean everything to me. Um, you know, I have a lot of New York pride, and. Um, my experience with Harlem has definitely shaped who I am as a person. So it's going to be as every bit as special as you as you think as you could imagine. What do you What do you mean by that when you say it shaped you as who you are as a person? I mean a lot of uh, 
unlike many other kids like my age now, many other twenty year olds, you know, they weren't they weren't they weren't forced or tasked with making like these these very conscious decisions since I since, you know, I was twelve, thirteen year old, you know, I made the conscious decision to go to school in New Hampshire for two years and then I made a conscious decision again not to return home but to go to another boarding school. And, you know, I I've could have I could have easily ended up going down a wrong path. But uh those decisions that I made at an early age that forced me to grow up early really got me to who I am now and uh have a lot to think how I'm to contribute at the home. For for a lot of different reasons and it kinda of speaks to what you were just saying, you you've experienced a lot as a twenty year old. How do you think the things that you've been through have prepared you to be a, a, a day one ready pro? I mean, I, I've been on my own since I was about 13 years old, just, you know, living on my own and just, you know, moving on my own and making very adult decisions at such a young age. And, you know, I really got to thank my parents for just, you know, allowing me to come into to being a young man on my own. But uh, I had, you know, these types of reps since I decided to go off to boarding school since I was in eighth grade. So it really wasn't too much of a cultural shock or too much of a difference to me. You know, fair or not fair, and this is a slightly different topic, but one of the knocks on you that has kind of emerged during this process is, is people questioning if you have too many outside interests and if you love basketball. Now, now personally, I disagree mm-hmm. with the sentiment. But I'm curious, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've heard it. What's your reaction to that when you hear that? I mean, I think it's just as ridiculous as questioning Kobe's love for the game after hearing what interview about him like speaking Italian and doing like these worldly things. Like every single guy in this draft, in this draft, has a lot of other interests, and uh, the interests I I get knocked for are actually things that are helping me improve my game, like you know, such as going to the MIT conference. Say the last like, part again. It's, it's okay. Like, you know, the the um every I think every guy in this draft has, has interests other than other than basketball. Right. But uh it's just it just seems to be like I'm the guy that's getting knocked for having interests that actually help me improve my game. Such as like going to like the MIT um loan conference in Boston, you know. It's okay to be an intelligent guy who's always looking for information or edge right. every now and then. <laughs> yeah. In in what ways do you think that stuff helps you? Oh, it helps me just see the like I I didn't have I, I didn't really know that how big the game was about analytics. I didn't really see like yeah, I didn't really I, I thought the game was just all about feel, all about you know actually being out there on the court. But there's a lot there's a lot that that goes into it at the analytical level. You know, just like I finally had a true understanding for what true field goal percentage was, the block percentage, and I like you know these things are being said and thrown around when I was like. In a junior, in a, in a, a junior and a sophomore in high school, and I never knew what it meant. So I would like really seek out that information and see how I can like emulate that into my game and try to you know be the best at things. Right, that's good stuff. Now, now mm-hmm. most mock drafts have DeAndre Ayton at number one, and obviously that's not a sure thing. So I guess my question mm-hmm. to you is, uh, give me your pitch. Why? Is Mohamed Bamba the best prospect in the NBA draft? I mean, well, now that we know that Phoenix has an number one pick, and it's the first time they've ever been in that position, I think it's very critical for them to draft the most reliable player with the highest ceiling who can make and can also make an immediate impact. And um, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be very boastful of my abilities, and I'm not trying to be cocky or anything, but 
You know, there's only five guys in the league today who can protect the rim better than I, than I can right now. And I think that's really what Phoenix needs most. You know, they have guys like Devin, Josh, Alfred, and TJ, and those guys are really great at scoring the ball. But they need a guy like me who can change the geometry of the game. And uh, a lot of that comes from defense. And it's just Phoenix would be an, an awesome fit. You have guys like Tyson Chandler, who's an amazing rebounder, an amazing bet who makes hustle plays. You know, they have bets and they have, you know, the pieces to, to sort of teach me and bring me in and sort of, sort of transition. It could be very smooth going into it. And uh, you know, saying like they have guys like Tyson Chandler, who's an amazing rebounder and makes hustle plays, and you know who's great off the court. I've watched a series about him and Devin Booker and their relationship they kind of fostered, and how he was teaching him the ins and outs about the league, and the new coach that they brought in, uh, how he was very instrumental in developing guys like Rudy Gobert, and how I can emulate his defensive, right? You know, strategies and in, in the my game, and uh, I truly believe I'm a guy who can, who can they can get up to speed the quickest and have the most immediate impact. And uh, that franchise is honestly, I, I believe, um, they're a playoff contender with me in that lineup. It, it's it's cool to hear you, because you've clearly done research on this, and you said that you think there's only five guys in the NBA that can protect the rim better than you now. I'm, I'm curious, because you obviously have done the research. Who who, who do you think are the five? Um, so if I had to really steer it out there, I'd say Kristoff, JoJo, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, of course, and Clint Compeller. Those are the five guys who I think are better protectors than me. And obviously, like, you know, there's guys who are, you know, an honorable mention. <laughs> but, uh, those, those, and, there's, and those are, you know, these are all guys that I watch. I watch their defensive instincts. I watch their footwork. I watch what hand they, what hands they block shots mostly with. And, uh, you know, I try to steal things. What would, what would it mean to you to, to go number one? Everything I do is, is just me trying to be the best. Um, there's only one number one, and team fit is extremely important. And I truly feel this is there with Phoenix at number one. So uh, I think it will be a pretty special situation all around. You you seem like a pretty goal-oriented kid. H- have you thought about your short and long-term goals with basketball and what, what they are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, first, it's figure out, you know, how to, how to utilize my strengths and uh, to become immediate contributor you know being uh you want to be in, i definitely want to be in conversation for first team all defense and but that's more of an individual goal and you know my goal coming in the league you know, which is going to sound very naive you know coming in as a guy who's not even a rookie yet and doesn't know anything about the, the league yet but uh i want to win i want to win i want to help i want to help take a team from from where they are now to the playoffs just like how i did in texas with the uh with the ncaa tournament does seeing a guy like Donovan Mitchell or, or Jason Tatum, both rookies that had massively successful first-year seasons in the NBA, to seeing those guys you know, play the way they are, I mean, obviously you're a different player, but the impact that they've been able to have in their first year, does that impact you at all? Do you think absolutely. about that? Um, absolutely. I mean, when you watch a team like the Sixers who has a rookie, a great rookie and a great big, and then you look at a team in the West like Utah right? Excuse me, a great rookie and a great big. Like, is it a, a very apparent theme in the NBA of these uh, these great rookies and these great bigs? But um, and then like when you think of the the, the things long term as far as goals, um, I just want to be a guy who can attract free agents to my team. Um, I, I want to be a true 
I want my team to be a true destination, you know, regardless if it's a big or small market. And one of the ways I uh, I close out every podcast, Mo, is uh, I ask my guests, what would they be doing with their life if they weren't involved with basketball? So if you didn't have a ball in your hands, what what uh what route would you be on in life? Hmm, I've actually gotten up quite a few times in Chicago. But um, I'd say if I wasn't a basketball player, I'd say you personally, Evan, would have to hire me as a scout so I can learn to trade, and then <laughs> so I can learn to trade. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, if you ever um, decide that you and, need, a, if you ever decide you need an internship or something, uh, you have an open yeah. one with me. <laughs> well, uh, I think I got some other things that I need to take care of, but um. <laughs> But um, that's I mean I learned to trade and then I work hard to show you that I got a good off talent and then eventually I work my way up and then be a GM of a team someday. So I'm drafting a guy like myself. <laughs> well, that uh, that's certainly a possibility in the future for sure. Well, Mo, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know this was a time chunk and uh, especially during pre-draft ta- training and, and jumping on the podcast. It was uh, it was a fun conversation. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Evan. It's always a pleasure answering you. Now let's welcome in the guy that is training Mo Bamba in the pre-draft process and uh, a close friend of mine, runs Pure Sweat Basketball, one of the uh, premier skills trainers for NBA players, Drew Hanlon. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, bro. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course. Uh, I'm curious, and I asked Mo a a similar question during our conversation, but how did you guys settle uh, on exactly what you all wanted to focus on during the pre-draft process? You know, I'm I'm very strategic when it comes to this uh, process. And so the first thing that we did was, um, you know, I asked Mo kind of, what do you think you need to work on? And we listed those on the board. And um, next thing we did was, um, you know, we watched film. I had done a, a huge uh, film breakdown for him. Then I re-asked him the question, what do you think you need to work on? Then we included his Texas coaches and a couple people that had uh, coached him throughout his kind of entire career and ask them as well. And then we finally kind of settled on, all right, we really need to get, you know, we really need to break down your mechanics, get really good with your shot. We need to work on low and mid post moves just so that you have the ability to score. And then, you know, we think you're going to be able to be a kind of a stretch five that, uh, you know, plays out of the pick and pop and pick and roll and stuff like that. And so um, we just decided those were kind of the big focuses that we needed to rock with. And, uh, we locked in on those three things and, and have tried to master as much as we can out of those three topics. Now, obviously, it's only been, I think, eight weeks, but what, what do you, what, what's the progress been like for him in those areas? It's been great. I mean, his shot, he actually had the same shooting mechanics that Jason Tatum had that we had to kind of redo last year. So I told him, um, you know, Jason was kind of my guinea pig, you know, a lot of trial and error last year, um, trying different drills. Some of them worked great. Some of them didn't work at all. And, um, you know, eventually – you know, Jason ended up shooting, you know, over 43% from three this year. And so um not saying Mo's going to get those great results. We didn't even expect that high for Jason. We knew that he would kind of be around 40. But uh, for Mo, we, we had to lower his shooting mechanics, uh, shooting pocket. We had to move it over to the side. And we had to just get, you know, to be more of a smooth one motion shot instead of kind of a, you know, a kind of slingshot. And so um, that was our first thing. thought that worked really well. He's shooting it. Um, you know, around 65% in workouts, um, which normally when when you're doing that, you're going to basically divide by two. And so we're trying to get him up to, you know, 75, 80% um, by the end of this process so that he can 
you know, shoot around 40% next season. And then uh, post moves, he's come, I mean, so far um, in the process. Um, and he's got to spend time with guys like Joel Embiid and, and Kevin Garnett, and um, along with kind of the work that we've been doing together. So um, he's been able to pick the brains of two of the, you know, best low post guys in the, in the recent years, and then also just lock in on a consistent training program. But, um, you know, the big thing that he realized was, his entire career, he's just worked hard, but he really didn't have a focus. You know, he didn't have a plan of attack. And so this is the first time in his life that he's actually kind of started to work smart and right. kind of add things to his game that can that can ultimately translate to game to game improvement. You know, everybody knows about his defensive potential. I mean, there's always going to be a place in the, the league for a, a guy that can protect the rim like him. But I've always thought that there was potential on the other end of the floor uh, and it sounds like that's what you guys have really been been focused on. W- what's your take on his overall offensive potential? Yeah, I think he's going to be really good. I mean, I, I, I made a bold statement the other day, and I said I think that he'll be an all-star. And, uh, you know, a lot of people look at him as raw, and a lot of people look at him as, you know, lacking certain things. But for me, I always focus on what can a guy bring to the table. And, you know, he just measured with a 7'10 wingspan at 7 foot. Um and and that right there in itself is, is something we can't teach. And then he does; he moves really well. His feet are really good, um, you know, naturally, which is which is huge. And and uh, you know, Joel Embiid said something the other day. Joel was watching him work out and and was like, "Man, I remember when I was first learning these moves. He he actually looks really really good." And um, you know, a lot of people in the gym were kind of surprised because they thought maybe Joel naturally had everything, and Joel had naturally had amazing feet. Right. He also had an ability to pick up moves quickly. You know, I think Joel probably learns them quicker um, than Mo. Joel just has is probably the, the quickest learner I've ever had. Um, but, but Mo is, is up there with him. You know, Mo's very educated. He's very smart. And um, like I said, I mean, this is just the first time he's ever been taught, you know, how to play the game the right way. And so um, it's a learning process. It's going to take time. I think that, um, if people give him a three-year window, they're going to be really surprised the results he gets. You know, I think he's still going to have some early, some early struggles as all rookies do, and and him having to learn how to use all the things that we're doing in games is going to take a little time. But um, I think if you give him a three-year three window, I think he's going to be, you know, the guy in the draft. You look back and go, wow, you know, we should we should have believed in him earlier. After working with him for two months, what, what do you see as maybe his biggest strength, but then also uh, his biggest weakness area he's got to continue to really focus on? Yeah, I think his, I think his biggest strength is, um, is going to be his versatility. I think, you know, you mentioned it. I think he's going to be able to switch on ball screens, and he's also going to be able to protect the rim, um, which is, you know, very valuable. And on offense, he's going to be able to stretch the floor, or he's going to be able to bang inside. So, I mean, I think his versatility is, is his uh, strength. And then I think – um, his weakness right now is just his body. Um, he's just got to continue to improve his lower body and hip strength and, and keep adding weight. Um, he's added about 10 pounds during this process since he's left Texas. And, um, you know, we've just been, we have a, you know, his guy that's been helping him out, Greer Love, has, has put him with one of the best chefs around town. And they've just been forcing him to eat, eat, eat. And uh, his body's been actually able to kind of, um, you know, process the weight, which is good. You know, sometimes, you know, guys can't add weight, but he's been adding weight and um, we're going about it in a strategic process. We don't want to put on too much weight. You see a couple guys that have put on too much weight in a pre-draft process, which has led to injuries. You want to make sure you kind of slowly build it the right way and 
Um, you know, he's added 10 pounds right now. He's been working hard in the weight room. And uh, we know that as his body continues to fill out, he'll be able to uh, utilize that strength and, and, and let him uh, do all the things that he's working on on the court. Now, obviously, you've worked with uh, a number of NBA guys, and, and you mentioned uh, Embiid and, and Jason Tatum, um, and maybe Embiid similar. But I, I'm curious who uh, who you think he compares to, who his comp is in, in the NBA. I know how much you study the league. Yeah, no, I don't think Joel is. I think it's it's hard to put a guy that is as special as Joel, you know, in, in that category. Most in that category, and I think it would be. And while we're still working on the same, you know, kind of off the same program and stuff like that, I think it'd be unfair to compare him to a guy that I, I think will be an MVP candidate next season. So I, I think that, Mo, if you look, um, there's not a guy very, very similar to him. I mean, a lot of people give the Rudy Gobert because he's longer. Um, I think that, you know, Rudy Gobert will probably win defensive player of the year. So if Mo can scratch that surface there, that'd be awesome. But I think Mo is, is a little bit more gifted on the offensive end um, than Rudy. So, I think if you take a little bit of DeAndre Jordan as far as how he can roll to the rim, catch lobs and stuff like that, a little bit of, um, you know, Gobert where defensively he can use his length and keep his hands high and kind of catch shots, be the second jumper and catch shots. Um, And then offensively, I think you'll see kind of a uh, not as polished version of Joel um, and, and I think that if you look at those three things, I'm basically saying he's not going to be as good at defense as Rudy Gobert is right now, but he'll get somewhere close. He'll not be as good of a rim roller as DeAndre, but he'll get close. And not as good of an offensive player as Joel, but he'll get close. And if you put those three things together, you have a really versatile guy that, um, you know, as he fills out and as he continues to work and, and learn the game, um, you know, one of these days, hopefully, we are talking about he's, you know, better in in some of those categories than those guys. But those are three kind of uh, guys that have all been, you know, mentioned as all-stars and and defensive player of the years and et cetera, which is, which is awesome to be, you know, around. Yeah. If you're, if you're coming close to those three guys and you're putting that type of stuff together, uh, you're going to be a, a pretty darn good NBA player. Uh, Last question for you, Drew, what do you think the ultimate upside with him is? And we know about, we all know about the physical gifts and, you know, he's going to have the longest, uh, wingspan in the NBA and the standing reach is absurd. Um, but what, what do you think the ultimate upside is with him as a player? Here's the thing that's funny because, uh, you know, as, as skills coaches and as anybody in, in these guys' circles or in the draft, you know, anytime you make a statement, everyone's like, well, of course he has to say that. You know what I mean? That's He's on his side. But um, as you know my past, there's been guys that I've worked with that I, I haven't really believed in and, and I've, I've been very honest that, you know, they'll be a role player. But I think Mo will be a star. I mean, I really do. It's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I took him in the pre-draft process. That I had the opportunity to work with. Um, a couple other of the top five guys and, and turned them down to really lock in on, um, on Mo. And, and the reason I did that was I really believed in him. I look at, you know, for me, I, I like finding guys that are kind of, you know, athletically gifted, but really haven't been taught the game. You look at guys like Zach Levine, who, believe it or not, at one point had everybody saying, why is he coming out of UCLA? He didn't even play at UCLA. And then, you know, he blew up and you have guys like Andrew Wiggins who, Ah, he's really raw, you know, he's not whatever, and then boom, player, rookie of the year, and, and had a great couple of years. Um, Moe's in that category. Moe is one of those guys that people are going to doubt, and they're not going to believe it until they actually see it in games. And I think that when you look back at his year at Texas, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he had a decent year, he averaged a double-double. 
I mean, when Mo's honest with you and when I'm honest with you, I mean, we thought he, we had a, a really bad season at Texas. You know, he didn't have post moves. He, he did look, you know, confused at times on the court. He looked like he didn't, you know, bring the energy that he's capable of bringing. And he's kind of been very honest with himself and, and changed all those things. You know, he, he realized his energy and effort wasn't there. And so um, he's been working his ass off for lack of better words. I mean, and he's been, you know, making sure that he brings it each and every day, which is a big question that a, that a lot of people had. And, and he kind of really got down on himself about when he looked at the film, he didn't have offensive moves. And so he's been really focusing on the details and, and making sure that he's not only working on the moves, but mastering the moves. So eventually he can use them in games and then the final thing was he couldn't shoot. You know, he shot under 30% from three. And so um, he needed to change, do a complete shot remake and um, and focus on making shots. And so, um, you know, there was two ways he could go about it. He could say, hey, listen, I'm going to be a top pick just because I'm athletically gifted and be content with that. Or he could really focus on, hey, how can I be the best player that I can possibly become? And, and he's taking the second route. Um, and it takes a guy that loves basketball and craves improvement to do those things. And so uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, I know that the, the pro guys that I have out here that have already started their training programs are all, you know, really impressed with them. A couple of guys have already, you know, that have high draft picks have, have been excited and hopefully, you know, hoping their team gets them. So uh, that's always a good sign because it's hard to win over pros. But I think he's going to be really special. I think there's a lot of people that are doubting him in the media that are going to uh, you know, look back a couple of years later and say, "Wow, I was wrong." Well, we are. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll know very soon where he's headed. We're really not that far away from the from the NBA draft. And uh, Drew, I appreciate you taking the time out and, and jumping on the podcast. Always uh, always appreciated. And uh, keep up the uh, the great work. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. This is Shaka Smart. This is one of the most shocking upsets. BCU is on its way to the Final Four. Taylor, no. And you listen to the sidelines with Evan Daniels. I'd like to once again thank Mohamed Bamba and Drew Hanlon for taking the time out and joining me on the sidelines podcast. Enjoyed those conversations with both of those guys. I, I think Mohamed Bamba, uh, as I really mentioned with both of those guys, has elite upside. And this is a guy that on my current big board, I have number three behind DeAndre Ayton and, and Luka Doncic. But I, I think his his ceiling uh, is high as anyone's in this draft because of those physical gifts, because of uh, the wingspan, the standing reach, the length, but also because of his ability to protect the rim, his ability to rebound. And I think there's a lot more there offensively uh, than he's shown and that he's been given credit for. And I, I think there's touch. I think he has very good hands. I think he's going to turn in uh, to a guy that can score on the block and that can make uh, mid-range jump shots consistently. I, I think he has the ability to do all those things. Now, if he's just a rim protector and a rebounder in the NBA, there's a place for him because of uh, that size and length, and he's going to be an elite rim protector. So there's always going to be a place for him in the league because of what he can do on the defensive end. But I, I think there's a lot on the offensive end that he hasn't shown yet. So I, I'm a, uh, a believer in Mohamed Bamba's game. I think he's a tremendous prospect and uh, very curious to see how this draft goes for him because I think there's a wide range uh, that he could go. And like I mentioned, his upside is elite, and it may be there may be more upside here than any other player in this draft. Now, obviously, you can make an argument for for some other guys like DeAndre Ayton, uh, but I, I just think there's elite upside with Muhammad Bamba, and he has an elite work ethic. So I'm curious to see 
where he goes in the NBA draft. Before I let you guys go, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to the Sidelines podcast, and that's the best way you can support this podcast. So shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button, but also leave a rating and a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. As always, thanks for listening, and have a great week.